In the heart of the One Dish with One Spoon Treaty Territory, Niagara's Sean Vanderclis and Carl Dockstader dish on any and all issues from a First Nations perspective. From pipeline politics to poverty to pan-Indianism and more, Sean shares his concrete curve lake take and Carl gives an urban Oneida angle. You are listening to One Dish, One Mic on the Niagara Podcasters Network. Not only are we in the heart of the Dish with One Spoon Territory, but we're also in the heart of the Niagara Podcast Studios in downtown St. Catharines. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk about politics. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so, Sean, you love Canada. You love voting. You think that the liberals are the best thing since sliced bread. I assume that you categorically support every single Justin Trudeau initiative because the system will save us from ourselves. Is that, is that an accurate reflection of your worldview? Yes, yes, and yes. Go Justin Trudeau. Really? <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> First of all, I just want to point out that you've now made me target number one on any indigenous uh, powwow or event that I go to. Thanks. I mean, to your credit, it's yeah. it's the harder point to defend, I think. Is that is that? I mean, it's a harder point to defend, yes. But, I mean, I also think it's the right point to defend. I think that... Um, that indigenous people need to be actively engaged in politics um, and in whatever capacity they see fit. Ideally, it would include voting in my eyes. It would include running for office in my eyes. It would include top to bottom grassroots to federal active engagement on first from First Nations um, to really create a profound change. I mean, one of the one of my biggest issues has always been people kind of just sitting back, watching, seeing how the Canadian government treats us and, and you know, kind of just hoping for a hero to come along. Um, and I'm of the view of we are that hero. Um, we have the ability to create positive change. We, anytime we have taken office, we have created change, right? Like Elijah Harper is my go-to when I talk about Indigenous people, First Nations people in politics. Um, if it wasn't for him, where would we be, right? Yeah, I guess so. And I mean, Romeo yeah. Saganash is making sure that and exactly. we all have, have boats and paddles yeah, everywhere exactly. we go, because that's, that's, I think, yeah. one of the most critical issues. Maurice Sinclair, Justice Maurice Sinclair, too. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Making headways. Yeah, I don't. I I just I just don't buy it, and I understand that maybe I'm by swatting at you, I'm sort of taking the the low hanging fruit. But yeah. I actually, I actually think that the harder thing to do is to not vote and yeah. to understand where that line is. And and I trace my thinking all the way back to a couple things. Okay, number one is the Kinjokuian Hatsta, which is a, a system of governance that that our people have. And actually, this would be a good time for me to mention that I I'm not an elder. Obviously, I, I hope uh, the people that know me know that at 37 years old, uh, I'm not an elder, I, nor am I a traditional knowledge keeper or a wampum holder, or uh, I don't speak on behalf right. of the Oneida Nation. I don't speak on behalf of Angwe Homeway people. I don't speak on, on behalf of Indigenous people. So, so all you, views you that are... You don't speak on behalf of all Indigenous people? I, I know, right? It's a shocker. <laughs> dude. I, I thought you did. Right? You're, <laughs> you're the official spokesperson for all Indigenous people. So, Dick I mean, we are... Are all exactly the same, so it it can be confusing. 
<laughs> so, but the, yeah, I, I, I did want to jump in with that. So, yeah. but what I've also been taught is that for, for lack of a better term, a lot of our teachings are, are open source. Right. There are things that are meant to benefit everybody, not, not just Angwe Hongwe people, but, but all people, the, right. the message of peace, power, and, and a good mind is, is that's available for anybody who chooses to, to live that way. Right. Uh, but in order to have peace, power, and a good mind available to people, there has to be some sort of mechanism that that preserves those things that that's hold, that holds tradition into place. For so for our people, for me personally, I use the Kinjokuin Hatsta, which is the circle wampum inside mm-hmm. of which are are all of the clan families and our teachings as as Haudenosaunee people. And and things that are inside of that Kinjokuin Hatsta are not to be brought out. And okay. things that are, uh, and it goes the other way too. So, uh, when we leave that circle wampum and we start participating in, in Western processes, specifically things like voting and enlisting in the army and other, other things that, that require us to take on the citizenship, right? We consider that to be taking on the citizenship of, of a foreign nation. Mm-hmm. And we do a very specific teaching. So you'll, you'll find that a lot of Angwe Hongwe people, particularly people who, who are longhouse people, they, they, right. Just, they won't do that. They, right. they won't vote. They feel that they they can't vote. But even if that weren't the case, I think that that ideologically, I would still be against voting because I think I think that it's important to allow the Canadian system to see itself through and to go through the motions and to develop and to flourish and to celebrate all the things that are Canadian values. But I also think that the the greater risk is that our ways are still under great threat. And that every second of time that we take diverting from restoring our ways, from practicing our tradition and, and from mm-hmm. learning our culture is is something that, that takes away from something that could be lost for future generations forever. And I, I mean, I, I would use language as the best example of that. The, right. the, the more English we learn, the more we learn about our traditions in English, the more that we practice things in an English way, the more they risk being changed forever mm-hmm. into that English way. But if we learn our teachings in our own languages and if we focus on, on the traditions as they were 10,000 years ago, then we have a better chance of, of preserving everything and of keeping it that way. So I'd be hard-pressed to ask any of our people to divert any of their time and energy away from that and into, as you say, per, you know, participating in the system mm-hmm. and, and, and helping and affecting positive right. change. And see, see, for me, though, and that's why they should, because... We are a rare species. We are almost extinct. I mean, I, I know people are going to yell at me for that, but in the grand scheme of the world, if we don't take the time to to state claim to our identity and to to state claim to to Canada, then we're going to be lost. And the government's not going to do that for us. As much as I, as pro government as I am, as pro. Um, Justin Trudeau as I am they're not going to do it for us they're not going to advocate on our behalf they're not going to do that unless they're pushed and I think it's our responsibility it's it's our obligation to do so Um, again back to Elijah Harper if he if he had not have ran for government right if he was not an MLA and he did not say no where would we be right well, I mean, that's that's a great conflict, right? Because that's uh, I, I carry a physical status card. 
And to me, that status card, it's government issued ID. Right. And that, that in and of itself presents a conflict because right. on the one hand, I'm like, wow, it's a, it's a tool of the colonizers. I'm, I'm carrying this, this badge, you know, yeah. the, this thing that says that you're this certain class of people. And, and yeah. so therefore I'm living under the Indian act, which is race based legislation, which again, mm-hmm. in and of itself is, is historically atrocious. And, and I'm looking at all these things yeah. and I'm like, well, why do I do this? And, but, but I, I do carry that card and I do exercise my rights as an indigenous person because again, it's the only way of upholding the treaty process yeah. and upholding treaty law. And, and I believe that those treaties are binding, mm-hmm. not only to, to Canadian people, but to Anguihomwe people. Right. So when those Dutch settlers came over in, in the 1600s and we made that arrangement with the, the initial introducing the two-row wampum concept to those Dutch settlers in, in and around upstate New York back in the early 1600s, the, right. that I believe that not only did the Dutch and all settler people after them enter into those treaty agreements, but, but so did I. Right. So I have to follow those treaties myself. And, mm-hmm. and the only modern way that I can do that is by referencing the 35th part of the Constitution Act, the hard work that, that Del Riley did mm-hmm. with the Constitution Act back in back before 1982 and the Constitution yep. Express and, and by carrying my status card. And, and even if that means that there's going to be some, some eye rolling at the grocery store because I pull out my status card and I'm holding up the line or, right. or whatever, the, the, that, those little things like using my status card like using my status card to to cross the so-called international border right and by not voting that that all those things in in my opinion are actually upholding the treaty process and that that's actually the thing that that's going to help canadian society mm-hmm. so are you sold no <laughs> definitely not <laughs> it's a good try though okay <laughs> but why like why why participate i guess i still i still don't see the benefit like i, I don't think i'm ever going to swing you uh in my direction right uh Maybe, but well, I, mean, I can't see any reason why. Should I vote? You definitely should vote. When you do vote, vote for me. I'm not running. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> but but why? Like it's it to me that's going against the treaty agreements. That's I mean you're familiar with the two yeah. row wampum, right? Maybe yeah. we should maybe we should give some context. What, what's your understanding of, of the two row wampum? So the two two row wampum, in my my vast knowledge of everything indigenous, is is essentially two canoes traveling down the same river and what what they represent are are indigenous people and non-indigenous people and while our paths to progression may be similar we still have our own individual ways of getting there so while we may be traveling while we are traveling down the river in one canoe and non-indigenous people are traveling down the river in a different canoe we're still going to prosperity together but our paths are never going to cross our paths are never going to touch um, and again, that's my interpretation of it. But uh, see, I'm not sure about the prosperity part. And I, well, I'd heard a couple of different things. That, that okay, it's one. One is a ship, yep. uh, or a vessel, or yep. uh, because actually the canoe is an indigenous in, in invention. So go, go us. Yeah. Uh, but that one one path is the path of the ship, and that's mm-hmm. to represent the path of the settler people okay. and all settler people that, that follow them, and yep. and that. In actuality, it was an instant acknowledgement that back at the time when when our people sort of had the advantage of being the dominant society, right. that we put this treaty out and said that, no, no, you you have every right to live your ways, mm-hmm. to live your values, to, to do everything that, that you want to do. And we, we have absolutely no right to, to interfere in that. Right. However, there may come a time when you may feel inclined to interfere 
with us in our ways okay. and, and to change what we want to do. So out of respect for that, we, we want a path. And, and if you see the two real wampum, it's, it's a white stripe and a purple stripe, another white stripe, a second purple stripe, yeah. and then a white stripe at, at the end. Again, I think, I think we'll put a link in the show notes to, yeah. to describe that a little bit better. But the one purple stripe is the path of the canoe or the, the settler vessel or mm-hmm. uh, uh, the path of the, sorry, the settler ship. Okay. Uh, separated between the two of them is the white stripe. That white stripe, I've been told, represents integrity. Okay. And then the ship of the canoe is the path of the indigenous person. Mm-hmm. And I, I would say that in this day and age that it's more important than ever that 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 indigenous path is restored that it's helped that it's advanced and that it's moved forward but again i i think i think that it would involve us diverging from our own path and our own teachings to go over and to try and change the canadian system and and the evidence that that i would make is is actually this last election this last election had the highest voter turnout of indigenous people ever Mm -hmm. in all of the history of of canada and what has justin trudeau done done for indigenous people they, we don't even know if there's going to be core funding for the friendship center movement something as simple as a 50 year old movement that's right. been proven to help people that has tons of quantitative and qualitative scientific evidence is is at risk for not being refunded through right. through the federal budget right now so you have record people that voted for indigenous people and then you have record people that are living in urban indigenous settings right you have a proven mechanism to help those people and there is between zero and no commitment from the federal government to help those people right now. So what did you even get for that vote? Uh, what did I get? This is how I see it. I mean, prior to 1960s, we were not given the right to vote. We had no privilege of participating in, in democracy in Canada. Um, look at the track record between Confederation to 1960. And then look at it from 1960 to the present day. I mean, are we where we want to be? No, definitely not. Canada as a society isn't where it wants to be. Um, but we are making steps. Is, is, has Justin Trudeau followed through on every platform commitment that he made during the election? Not even close, right? One of the biggest things... Has he followed that, through on any of them? <laughs> He's followed through on a couple of them. Like, what's he done for our people, though? Like, let's, you know, convince me. I'm the skeptic, right? Like, he's, <laughs> he's not done nothing for Indigenous people, right? Well, what did they just announce two days ago, Carolyn Bennett and um, the Minister of Natu- Natural Resources, I believe? I can't remember who it was. Just announced their commitment to first clean water all across Canada. They've announced, I can't remember the exact quote but we'll get the dollar figure and post it in the link where they've committed to 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 essentially bringing our water levels up to canadian standards and uh, canadian society um that was again within the last couple days um the moment they the liberals took power yeah the the uh I mean, credit where credit's due, right? right? If if they can get fresh water to those northern communities, yeah, like that, that's something that it just seems so basic to me, and it, it, it's mind-boggling. And and I, I mean, it would be petty of me to to yeah. mention that they've been in power for a year and a half, yeah, and now they're getting to it. So I, I admit that there's bureaucracy and there's process, mm-hmm. and that you can't just wave a magic wand. 
But then again, I saw I saw a whole country galvanized behind fires in Fort McMurray mm-hmm. and drop everything and spare no resource to make sure that that. Uh, and I, you know, I don't want to minimize the tragedy. I, I think that people should help, and that what happened with with Fort McMurray. The, I think that there's still a lot of tragedy and and, and harm that yeah. happened there. But I would say that the level of, of tragedy of children in northern First Nations communities right. that don't that don't have enough drinking water. I mean, where where is the sense of urgency with that? And why why is why did it take eighteen plus months into the platform to, to get something done about it? I mean, for me, it's 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 only money. That's but to, all. to me, I think that's a short sighted view because while it is has been eighteen months, it's been about a hundred years. <laughs> like when going back to it, I mean. Uh, it's been about a hundred years since we've been ever equal. Since <laughs> non-native people have been without drinking water, you know what I mean. Um, and and stop saying I. In my opinion, like it's not even the North that's the issue. You go to Six Nations. I've been to parts of Six Nations where you can't drink the water there, where you can't shower without emptying out your septic tank, or you can't flush the toilet without emptying out your septic tank. And this is Six Nations. This is one of the most progressive um economically developed reserves in ontario right without a without a casino obviously right and they are without that drinking water well i I mean i would say the six nations is one of the most progressive communities but maybe not for the same reasons that that you're saying it is again for for any listeners that that don't know it's it's the most highly populated reserve in in all of canada it encompasses a very large land area i think i think it might even be the the physically biggest reserve in in all of Canada, but yeah. uh, uh, but I I would say that the reason why the Six Nations Reserve is is the most advanced is because Ava Hill is still not letting the Canadian Census people come onto that reserve because mm-hmm. even though she's an elected chief, not a hereditary chief, right. that that she has the foresight to realize that that her people do not want to participate in that process. So no. it's tough because no, the government could come and they could gather statistics that could ultimately be helpful, but on principle. Ava Hill is saying that, no, you, you cannot bring your census takers onto our reserve. It is the will of the people mm-hmm. that we don't want those people to come onto our reserve. So to me, I, I'd say that that's why the Six Nations Reserve is, is the most progressive and most advanced reserve. It's because I, I think that, that, again, I'm not an expert on the other 633 First Nations across, right. across all of Canada. But what I do know is, again, that, that through hell and high water, our people have been able to maintain a connection to, again, our, our ways that are thousands and thousands and thousands of, mm-hmm. of years old. When, when I go into the longhouse and when I sit in my family's place in that longhouse, then, then I know I'm being connected to, to a way that's thousands of years old. When, when somebody walks into, and I've been to the Canadian Parliament, and, and it's impressive, but, but right. it's, it's a baby. It's a political baby. This, right. Even the whole notion of Western democracy is, is this brand new sort of ideological experiment that with Donald Trump looks like it's badly gone, <laughs> badly gone off the rails. Whereas in our ways are proven. We have a participatory democracy. There's, there's no right. onus on Canadians or Americans. They, they vote. You go to the polls, you know, if you can, if it's convenient, if it doesn't, you know, take away from from uh, your Snapchatting or whatever it is you choose <laughs> to do on, on the days that, that people don't go to the polls. And then you walk away and you say, well, I put Andy Petrowski in place, so I've done my job. <laughs> I put Donald Trump in place, so I've done my job. Yeah. That's not how a democracy is supposed to work. A democracy is supposed to be participatory, like the ways of the Ungwehongwe people. Right. So, again, it's to me that, that uh, 15 minutes that I don't give to Canada is nothing to from the moment I wake up 
when I'm taught that the first thing, like I did this morning, that I'm supposed to do is is to give thanks for all of creation, right, right on until the the last thought before I go to bed. Again, is to be appreciative of the things that I have. And I I really feel like you hit the nail on the head and making my argument more value, valid is that it, it, it is participatory. And indigenous people should participate. And while we do have a, a representative democracy, if we are not actively engaged and actively participating, things are not going to get done. I mean, look at what the recent senator just said, right? If, if Marie Sinclair was not there to call her out, where would we be? Like, would he, would he have as much clout as he does now if he wasn't involved in Canadian politics? Well, I guess, I mean, that's that's my question, is I, I have a great deal of respect for Romeo Saganash. Yeah. I have a great deal of respect for, for Marie Sinclair. I have a great deal of respect for, for all of the Indigenous people, even even Ava Hill, who, I mean, it's it's a really complicated history to get into. Right. But our, our people don't even, don't even acknowledge the validity of elected chiefs because yeah, the band council system is something that's been handed down through through the Indian Act. But... No, if you, talk about that. So, what's the difference, like elected chiefs versus hereditary chiefs? Okay, uh, I mean the the easy ex- example that I could give uh, is probably Oneida, where we had Sherry Dockstader. Uh, we now have a nice Cornelius gentleman that's that's an elected chief uh, in nine. 19- 1925, the RCMP went down to Six Nations, and there was still a fully functioning traditional government. So right. again, the government that I talk about that still, by the way, fully functions to this day, the Confederacy chiefs still meet every single month. The clan families are still fulfilling their responsibilities. There, that's that's our traditional government. That's the hereditary government. That's the government that, that I think all Six Nations people in their heart of hearts, I think we all acknowledge that that's the true government government of our people. However, around 1924, 1925, it was becoming a a little bit politically inconvenient to have this group of people that didn't see themselves as Canadians, that didn't follow Canadian law, that saw themselves as their own sovereign first nation, and that made claims to, to land title that, again, predate any kind of settler claim to the land. So in 1924 or 1925, the RCMP came onto the Six Nations Reservation and at gunpoint, they went to the Longhouse and said that you're going to need to disband. This this was a royal order that was given by the Prime Minister at the time and, and said that you're going to have to disassemble this political system and you're going to have to have a vote and decide what kind of a colonial government you're going to have. Right. So they went on and less than a couple dozen of a population of hundreds and hundreds of people voted for a band council. So they established an elected chief, they established elected councillors, and that government is what Ava Hill, the modern Six Nations elected chief, is a derivative of. Okay. The Longhouse government is a derivative of our multi-thousands-of-year-old government. So when I talk about when I talk about the two systems, the band council system and the hereditary system, then the hereditary system is the traditional system. The band council system is is a completely different system. Right. Contemporary Canadian government. 
invoked yeah. system. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's a colonial construct. So again, it's it's. Uh, I, I mean, I should I should preface this by saying I I believe in the Confederacy Chiefs one hundred percent through and through. I right. don't I don't think that first off it didn't work. It it's uh, there there's some doctrines that are generally accepted as as ways to take things over, right? Mm-hmm. Like the the doctrine of negotiation. If I agree to give you something, then it's yours. The doctrine of war is another. If if I defeat you openly in the plane of battle, then again I can take what's yours, and, right. and that's accepted to be there. Uh, the doctrine of discovery is a historical that. You know, maybe we'll talk about that one in, in yep. a different episode. There are all these accepted sort of doctrines for from within which a government can be dissolved, but the terms were never met. While the RCMP went with the guns and while they alleged to have dissolved that government, they went and met immediately, secretly, but they still met immediately and they just concealed that fact from the Canadian government. So again, it was it was never disbound, mm-hmm. disbanded. It was never shut down. It's, it's still the continuous force that exists in our people. So... Right. Again, by by participating in the band council system, of which, by the way, you have you have eighteen thousand to twenty four thousand registered Six Nations members. You have about a thousand of them that vote. So one in eighteen right. to one in one in twenty four people vote in the band council system. So that that in and of itself should tell you that the people aren't invested in the system. It's a colonial system and and a system that, that's that's fraught with the terrible history of Canada. Right. I mean, I, I think if you were to look at Canadian society as a whole, those numbers would probably be the same across the board. I think it's it's fair to say that the average citizen is not as engaged and is not as informed as they should be. Um, so I don't th- I don't think Six Nations is that far off when it comes to voting. But I, I don't think it's a lack of information. I mean, it's it, uh, and again, I'm no expert on, on Canadian and American voting, right. though I read the newspaper and <laughs> uh, or, or read it on my phone anyways. And I see that there's a lot of apathy that's out there. There's a lot of people that aren't invested in the system. Right. But then when it comes to our hereditary system, I see people that risk their lives to preserve our system. And actually, when you, when you look at the greatest parts of Canadian and American history, when, when people were risking their lives out in the, out in the fields of battle to, to defend the values that were central to them, I think that, I think that that's almost reflective of, of how our people were. Like, our, our people chose, and it was that traditional government that chose to, we officially, as the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, declared war on Germany twice throughout both world wars we we decided through our traditional hereditary government that we were going to declare that war and so we agreed to send our troops over and and they were they were impactful they made a big difference right. in 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 both of the world wars that happened so again there have been times when when our people have been invested but but right down to keeping the hereditary system of chiefs going i think that still to this day there's still there's still a great risk right when i when i openly declare that that i'm not canadian I'm not interested in being Canadian. Right. I'm not American. I'm not interested in being American. That, that's a great risk, especially right. in, in Trump's America. If I were to go and stand in downtown Times Square, well, I'd probably just be another crazy kook yelling. But, <laughs> but if I were in a public place and I openly declared that, that I have no interest in, in taking on these Western citizenships, I, yeah. I think I'm exposing myself to, to a great deal of risk. But I don't care because I'm going to do what I believe is my responsibility to keep those ways going. Yeah. And voting, I think, erodes that right that I have. And I feel like I should backpedal a little bit in the sense that I'm not arguing that the Canadian way is the way and that participating in Canadian democracy and elections is the be-all, end-all. What I'm saying is we have been afforded the tools to create change and we should take advantage of those. We should also maintain our traditional systems that we have in place, maintain our traditional governments that we have in place. We should 
completely follow through with who we are as a people. But we've also been given the tools to to enhance our people. Like the, the greatest enhancements that have been made to First Nations, um, Métis and Inuit people in Canada have been since we've been able to vote, right? Human rights weren't applicable on reserve until when, 19, uh, 2000? Yeah, maybe. I think I want to say is early 2000s. Any, any crime you committed against a First Nations person on reserve would not uh, hold grounds in court. Um, and it's because of our, our um, participation in, in Canadian democracy and politics that, that that has become an issue. See, the politics I'll give you, but the, the democracy, I still, I, I, I don't know that I'll come around on that. It, yeah. it's, I, as I, I think I mentioned earlier in this podcast that yeah. I had the great pleasure of, of sitting down with Del Riley. Yeah. And for people that don't know, Del Riley was the national chief of the Indian Brotherhood mm-hmm. in the turn of the 80s. Yeah. What happened at that time, Canada was also looking to establish its constitution. So they yep. put together 34 parts of the constitution and they, at no point did they mention indigenous people or indigenous right. rights or or you know maybe they glossed over it or it was an afterthought that was incorporated in other parts of the constitution and, and i mean it's the constitution is is a very well-written document and it's very uh, i mean i i i agree with mm-hmm. a lot of the principles that are that are behind it but there was no mention of indigenous people so right. so delbert riley and others at the time realized that there was this great injustice that was about to happen and he was able to mobilize people again from from hundreds of first nations across all of of Turtle Island mm-hmm. from from coast to coast, and he started the Constitution Express. And person by person, he went and sat in people's living rooms, and the media w- helped in the process, and and our own forms of communication helped in the process. And, right. and he was able to mobilize people to participate to the level that they went to the Prime Minister's office, and they said, "Don't forget about us." Right. And that's ultimately what led to the thirty fifth part of the Constitution, which right now is is maybe the only thing, other than some Supreme Court rulings that are that are holding any of our rights in place so right. credit where credit's due because i think that is an example of of participating in the process exactly and and that's one of the things that i like it doesn't matter how you participate in my eyes it's the fact that you are participating you can't sit back and complain if you don't do anything meaningful and to me the easiest way to do so is voting that's why every four years i go and vote Every four years, I rally behind whoever the candidate of the day is, support them, and and try and encourage people to get out and vote. Um, But it is also organizing at the grassroots level. It is also participating in protests to ensure that our rights aren't trampled on, to ensure that our voices are still being heard. Um, Going to the short hills, right? (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> going to the short hills. I know we're going to get a lot of feedback from this, but the protests that happen there, the blatant racism that happens there um, is, is uh, by us going there and supporting our hunters, in my opinion, is, is us standing up for our rights and is us participating and us creating change. I and I, I see that and I guess yeah. I think I think we both agree that you need to participate and you need to do what you can yeah. to affect positive political change. It's just the manner in which you do it. Right. I think is is again the, the Short Hills Hunt happened because there was a treaty. It's based specifically on the Treaty of Nanfan, which yeah. was signed right around the time as as the treaty that this show is named after, the Dish with One Spoon territory. And and it is an agreement that the Haudenosaunee hunters had the ability again to to use the resources of this land right. in in their own way. But I'll bet you that, that none of the hunters voted 
and yet they still have every right to practice their their treaty rights mm-hmm. because they realize that those rights exist outside and, and actually the Supreme Court of Canada has echoed this sentiment that, yep. that indigenous rights exist outside of the framework of the Canadian Constitution which again I, I have to give credit where credit's due because that's something that I was always raised right. knowing that, that of course they exist they, they predate Canadian right. rights we had democracy we had like women were and are the leaders of our community and in, in Canada I mean uh, Laura Yip and, and Ruth Unruh can probably do a really good job explaining how how women are are not in enough leadership roles and, right. and Canada as a whole could probably benefit from from modeling after that aspect of of Haudenosaunee society and, and as a matter of fact I, I know that historically that the Haudenosaunee women helped lead some of the women's suffrage movements in New York State those are those are our women those are our Iroquois women mm-hmm. so that that's another example of, of us directly participating in the process but just not right. doing it at the voting booth right agree wholeheartedly <laughs> <laughs> I still think you should vote though yeah, that's. I mean, I I won't do it, and I won't do it that way. Yeah. Uh, and but I've also been taught that I'm not to uh, tell you how to live your life. So right. I I understand that that we're coming from from slightly different backgrounds. You're, right. You're through and through an urban indigenous person, and yep. this is how you choose to express yourself yep. as an urban indigenous person. And and I think that that's your right. But I also believe that as somebody that's trying to reclaim tradition and trying to take back everything that was yeah. lost from my grandma, that, that that's something that, that a right that I should continue to have. And mm-hmm. so I'm not Canadian. You are. Yeah. But we can still talk from from one dish and speak into one microphone. One podcast at a time. Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, for everybody who listened to this episode, do you, I'm sorry, do you have any final thoughts? No, I mean, I, I, I mean... Two indigenous people from two, with two different indigenous perspectives make for a great podcast in my eyes. So, <laughs> all right. On that note, yeah, won't go. Yeah. Thank you uh, again. Click that like button. Share if you will. Make a comment if you must. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to One Dish One Mike on the Niagara Podcasters Network. Your hosts are Carl Dockstader and Sean Vanderplus. Recording is done at the Pop Up Podcast Studio at Cowork Niagara home of Niagara's independent workforce. Executive producer is Trevor Twining. Production assistance by Daniel Twining. Show artwork by Mitch Baird. Music by DJ Shub, used with permission. If you have show ideas or comments, you can reach us on Twitter at Niagara Podcasts.